0: Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia Success Podcast, where we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. On this show, I work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. In this week's episode, I talked to my friend, Dr. Bonnie Koo. Bonnie is a physician and an entrepreneur, and she's someone with whom I'm going to explore the topic of building in autonomy into the life of a physician through business and entrepreneurship. Because as we've seen and we've talked about on the show and we're gonna talk about in this episode, everywhere we look for anesthesia and for pain, physician autonomy is under attack. And the more we can build in mechanisms to have external sources of income or other ways to be able to create a buffer between yourself and your need for money from one employer, the better off you're gonna be, the more flexibility you're gonna have and the less stress you're gonna have in your life. So thanks for tuning in this week. Stay tuned for episode 35. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 35 of the Anesthesia Success Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Dr. Bonnie Koo. Bonnie is a board-certified dermatologist, an entrepreneur, and a physician finance blogger with an important voice in the physician community. I'm really excited to have her here with us today. How are you doing, Bonnie? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be with you today. Yeah, I'm really pleased to have you. And I've got to say to start off, I don't usually venture outside the specialty here for anesthesia and pain, but your story was so compelling and it addresses quite directly. One of the major issues that I see today with physicians, that of physician autonomy and how it is dissolving everywhere we look and how you've really been able to intentionally build this into your life. So I'm looking forward to hearing your story and having our listeners learn from your experience. Awesome. Well, i even more honored now. Yeah, cool. So to start us off, just tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to uh, your your current uh, vocational situation. Okay, well, I'll try to keep it
1: short. But you know, for those of you who don't know me, I am a dermatologist. And I've been out of training now for, wow, it's been, I guess, just over four years now. Um, but to backtrack a bit more, you know, I didn't go to medical school until I was 27 but I was always pre-med. So I was a biochemistry major in college. I went to college in New York City at Barnard College. And I was on track to apply to medical school and start right after graduation. But um, like life in general, sometimes things happen. So nothing bad happened, but basically I actually got a really great job opportunity at Morgan Stanley. Now most people think I worked in finance there, but I didn't, I was an IT person. Okay. <laughs> But the reason why this job was amazing is, you know, I was, what, 21, 22 when I was a senior in college. And, you know, I had sort of lower middle class upbringing. And so I never really traveled much. I never went on a plane. Hmm. And so this job basically was like, well, the first four months are in London, England. Wow. And so I basically was like, sign me up now. No, <laughs> Um, And the reason why this opportunity even came my way is because my job, I had a part-time job in college. I had two actually, one was babysitting, but the other sort of official one was working in the computer lab at Columbia University. And so when you work in the computer lab there, a lot of my friends were computer science majors. And then there were people like me who were not computer science majors, but kind of knew more than the average person. And that's how we got the job. And all these computer science majors all ended up working at Morgan Stanley. And so I just got a call one day saying, hey, we're still looking. Are you interested? And I was like, interested in going to London? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. Now, I thought I'd worked there for a year and kind of then reapply to medical school or apply rather. Um, it ended up being four years though. Hmm. So that's sort of why I went to med school at 27. But okay. I guess the good news is I still wanted to go to medical school despite making six figures at Morgan Stanley.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that was probably just enough time to like, forget all your undergrad bio classes. So I'm guessing there was some time to brush up on the MCAT in there.
1: Um, yeah. So I had to take the MCAT. So I never took it in college. I actually was in a Kaplan MCAT uh, review course okay. and uh, my mom was quite upset cause she paid for that course. And um, <laughs> I don't remember the cost, but these things aren't cheap. Right? Sure. So she was not happy about that.
0: <laughs> Got it. But then you made it into med school and everything worked out and uh and you matched into derm so what was that what was that journey like for you
1: oh so that was another journey (laughs) so as many of you know you know becoming a dermatologist getting into derm residency is not easy and so i did not get in the first time i applied so i didn't get in until the third time i applied so i guess there's a little story there so clearly i kept applying until i got in Mm -hmm. i guess is the, the the long the short story of it um like many people trying to get into Durham residency, I ended up doing a year of research, uh, okay. actually two years of research, one at UCSF and that one at UC Irvine, and that's where I ended up matching.
0: Okay, awesome. And then um, how did you find residency to be?
1: Uh, i You mean like, was it easy or hard? Yeah, I, I, I mean.
0: mean- Coming from a background of being in IT, which is like totally different, and then doing med school, you're, you're seeing a lot of different sort of swaths of life, I guess. And as you're stepping into a clinical environment now and, and being a, a practicing physician, how did, how did that uh, open up new possibilities or new challenges for you?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. I don't get that question a lot. You know, I think because I had a job before medical school, and obviously you know, I don't know any other way, but I didn't find it that difficult in terms of interacting with people. So you know, I think you know if, you th- if I think of a traditional student who just goes straight from college to med school to residency to practicing, that's kind of all they knew. Um, versus, you know, I had a job where I had to interact with people, um, you know, in a professional environment for many, I guess, four years in a professional environment. And I worked with very intelligent people. These were people who were sort of known for their specialty within IT, and so yeah. Morgan Stanley tended to attract some of the it star, so to speak. Hmm. And, you know, I'm proud to say that I'm still friends with a lot of them and Hmm. they've all moved on to some amazing careers. You know, one is, um, has a very high position at, I think it's Google. Um, Hmm. so they've all sort of moved on to really great things, but yeah, I think having that experience interacting with other people really served me well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And then, um, talk a little bit about, you know, during this time, the, the, the financial, timeline for a phys- physician in general is very unique because for most people who go straight through, you maybe go into debt for undergrad, you try to avoid it if you can, but then you almost certainly go into debt for med school, unless you know you have some family money or something like that. And then you come out and you're in residency, making hardly anything, trying to scrape by and then you become an attending and then everything changes. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of moving parts, but for somebody like you, you know, taking a less conventional path and also working at a financial firm, would you say that that sort of... Uh, prepared you for some of the financial hurdles that you're going to face, or how was your journey in that regard?
1: Well, I think uh, logically
0: it would help me, but it didn't. Yeah. I mean, being in <laughs> well, IT, maybe you didn't have a lot of exposure to the finance side of things. Like oh,
1: I, I had no exposure, and I and and like you know, looking back, like I had no interest in it too. Mm-hmm. So I basically you know threw away four years of opportunities where I could have learned something, <laughs> but I didn't. And you know, instead I was focused um, enjoying New York city, you know, as a, in my twenties, which I don't regret by the way, but you know, at the end of the day, I could have learned a lot about the stock market, but I didn't. So yeah, I kind of was, I think just, you know, like other people and other physicians, you know, no one taught me, I didn't Mm -hmm. grow up in a family where we talked about money or they taught me about money, except for maybe, I think my mom was always into saving, So she would say, you should save. My dad was a spender. So I kind of took after my dad. That's just how (laughs) it was. I had a sizable 401k at Morgan Stanley. And the story I like to tell is that I actually cashed it out before medical school.
0: Wow. Okay. Did you, you did that to pay for medical school or just to finance living? Yep. You got it. Okay. Uh, No, the finance living medical school. I got loans like most people. Okay. Got it. Okay. And so, you know, right now you're, Obviously, you have it. well, this isn't obvious, but one of the current pursuits that you have, and we're going to get to how this came about is being a physician finance blogger and having a a pretty important voice in the the chorus of physicians who are doing that. So clearly, things evolved as you became an attending and then kind of kept on walking through your professional career and you your views on finances matured somewhat, it sounds like. Talk a little bit about that journey and how that unfolded.
1: Yeah. So like I said before, I was pretty ignorant. And I was ignorant through most of my training. And you know, I had, I loved the people I did residency with. They're all amazing. And just, we just all, most of us got along. And so there were two guys who were friends of mine and they would frequently talk about money. And I didn't didn't really pay attention, but I knew enough that they talked, they were talking about their investments. And of course my first thought I remember was thinking like, how do these people have money to invest? Like, I remember (laughs) thinking that I never said that. And they would talk about from time to time, they would talk about their stuff. And mm-hmm. I just ignored it cause I didn't understand it. And then one day and it was my last year of residency and it was um, in the fall. And uh, I remember it was like 2014, it must've been 2014. And I think I just said, how do you guys know this stuff? Like, where mm-hmm. did you learn this? Like, what what's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember what prompted me to even ask that. Maybe I just was tired of listening and not understanding. And they just kind of turned to me and they're like, and they started telling me and mm-hmm. they said, and then they also told me to buy the White Coat Investor book, his mm-hmm. first book. Now he's got two books. And for whatever reason, I did what they told me to do. I okay. ordered it on Amazon. I'm pretty sure at Amazon Prime, then I think it's free for residents or students. And I got it like two days later. And I actually read it in a day. It's a pretty quick read. Yeah. And I'm a really fast reader. Um, and I read it and I think I kind of was like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's like this whole other world of knowledge that I never knew. I mean, like I I knew existed, but like pretended not to know. It's, it's yeah. just interesting how we all know that money is important, but very few of us are curious to learn about it.
0: Yeah. And so there's probably some people in this audience who have like heard about White Coat Investor and thought, oh, you know what? That's something I should probably look into. But for people who aren't familiar, why don't you explain a little bit about uh, what that is?
1: Yeah. So the Waikou Investor is, you know, a brand and it was started by Dr. James Dolly, who's an emergency medicine physician, and he's a physician who writes about personal finance. His blog started in 2011. I don't think he was the first, but he was kind of the first to gain traction. And he wrote a book. And so he's, you know, his mission really is to educate physicians on money so they don't make stupid mistakes, basically. Right. And so, uh, he kind of was a starting point. I mean, his book really started sort of my trajectory. So I'm one of those people that once I get into something, a topic, like I just inhale everything around it. So I basically inhaled his whole blog. I think I actually read almost every blog post at the time. So I haven't really kept up since. And I just started digging around like, where else can I learn from? I discovered the bogleheads. I mean, I just, you know, Google, we live in a a world now where you can find everything on Google. Yeah, that's right. I just found all these resources, soaked it all up. There's so much free information out there, mm-hmm. order books, et cetera. And I also participated on online forums. So not Facebook, but like online forums, like the Bogleheads and the Way not Investor, he started a forum. And so I would ask questions. And so I just started learning.
0: And during this time, you're transitioning from residency into attending hood someplace. Yep. You got okay. it. And so talk a little bit about how you began to take this knowledge. And even the questions you're starting to ask and say like, wow, how does this apply to my situation? Did, did things change quickly? Or you know, did it take a while for things to kind of trickle all the way down to your actual checking account? Or how did that evolve?
1: Well, so I think um, it's so funny. When I really think about what my life would be like now or even that first year of attending hood if I didn't know this stuff, I could kind of shudder because it, it totally could have gone a different way. Mm-hmm. But because I was armed with this knowledge and because I was so curious and interested in it, you know, it was really, um, so my first job was at a large hospital. And so as you know, large hospitals tend to have, you know, really robust retirement offerings for their employees. So I was able to evaluate the benefits package, um, you know, critically. And it wasn't the thing that was going to keep me from taking a job because I don't personally think you should not take a job because they don't offer a good retirement plan. You take the job because it's a good job. And if they offer great retirement, that's just an icing on the cake. But So I was able to evaluate and I was able to take advantage of it. So as you know, most attendings, uh, while we finish residency in July, a lot of us take the summers off. I started the end of August was basically September 1st, which means I have just over a quarter to kind of like fill up my buckets of Mm accounts, so to speak. And so I managed to um, virtually, I think I was not quite there, basically max out my 403B in that short amount of time because I knew it was something I should do or I knew about it, I guess is the best way to say it.
0: Yeah, so when you say filling up the buckets, just so everybody knows, what that means is, so at that time, there's probably like an $18,000 limit on a 401k, meaning 401k or 403b, it could have been in your case, is the retirement plan at a nonprofit institution. So the threshold of $18,000 is something that most people would take an entire year to do $1,500 a month, uh, like clockwork, automated out of your paycheck in order to get the full tax advantage of making those pre-tax contributions which in that year will reduce your taxable income which for physicians is awesome because you're in a very high tax bracket because you make a ton of money so what you're saying you did was you took that very short time of it sounds like three four months maybe of mm-hmm. being an attending and were able to do I guess like four or five thousand dollars a month almost is it, that's what happened
1: yeah I don't think I did the full amount but it was very close and okay. you know I was living in New York City which as you know is a very high, not just state tax, but city tax. That's and right. so it just like, was a no brainer for me to do that. Cause it's like, I'm either going to pay the government or I'm going to pay myself.
0: Yeah, that's right. So
1: that's kind of how I saw it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, from there, it sounds like that's a, that was a significant shift for you from the way that you had handled your, <laughs> you went from spending down your 401k to live it up in New York to quickly ratcheting up your savings as an attending. So that sounds like a real fundamental shift.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think what made it easy for me and doable for me is I'm one of those people, like if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I loved about the the employer uh, plans is it just comes out of your paycheck. So I don't even have a chance to like spend it first because I I still consider myself, I tend to spend money. Yeah. So this is like, it was like an easy way for me to not spend it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point. And be, whenever you can automate, and systematize savings so that it doesn't take incremental emotional effort so that every month you don't have to like log into your checking account and push it somewhere. If it happens yep. like clockwork behind the scenes, that is an ideal situation. I always counsel anybody who will listen, like automate it. And if you can get it out of your paycheck before it even hits your checking account, that's an ideal situation. Yeah, totally. So then, you know, you're, you're building knowledge, you're starting to implement this stuff and you obviously continued to learn, continue to network in this community with physicians who are like-minded. How did this continue to evolve for you from there?
1: Yeah, so um, I just started, you know, I kept learning. And, you know, my first job, I said, was at a large hospital. is also a residency program. And so I had residents. And so I actually, you know, gave them their so while I was there for just over two years, so I gave the residents sort of a one hour lecture on finances. And so obviously I put together this lecture myself just to kind of cover the basics of the stuff that I think they needed to know before they graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, like my knowledge just kept growing. And like what I thought about money and even retirement accounts back in 2014 to 2015 is not how I think about them today. Mm-hmm. And so that's also changed and evolved, um, sort of my idea of what retirement means. You know, the the financial dependence movement or community. And so it's it's still evolving. And so that's kind of, but I like that. It doesn't bother me that it keeps changing.
0: Yeah, that must have been an awesome moment of validation. You know, stepping up to the the podium with with these residents who are there to to hear you talk about personal finance. Take me to that moment. What was it like for you?
1: Oh, to speak there. Um, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's relatively casual. So it yeah. my residence, not like I was at a, at a conference. Um, but, um, it, I really, you know, I found that I really enjoyed talking about it. Um, and it was, to me, it was like low pressure. Um, and I also gave away some books to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like, you know, they, they're so busy trying to just, you know, learn medicine you know, learn how to be dermatologists in this case and so whatever i could do to kind of ease that transition to help them make better choices for their first job you know things like that i just felt like i want i was trying to be the person that i wish sort of i had access to when i was a resident
0: yeah awesome so you found that there was a pretty strong appetite for the the kinds of wisdom that you had to share then sounds like oh
1: yeah i mean you know this this lecture i you know i actually give freely to anyone who wants it cuz i think people are asking for this knowledge when i say people i mean like the residents are yeah. and so i have friends of mine who are still at that hospital who use my lecture to just give that same lecture to their residents because people are hungry for this because no one's teaching them this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you went from- At least
1: for the most part.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's de- There's definitely a huge gap there. And I think we're both sort of fighting the same battle here to try to bring financial empowerment and education to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, so you went from knowing not a lot to starting to get savvy yourself, to starting to teach residents, to- All of a sudden, at some point, you said, I want a bigger platform. I want to be able to scale sharing this knowledge. And I want to do that through uh, a blog and eventually a business. So talk a little bit about how this continued to evolve for you.
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting uh, question because I did not wake up one day thinking I want to do a business or I want to start a blog. Like that was like the farthest thing from my mind. To me, it was just, this is interesting. I really enjoy it. And I enjoy talking about it and teaching people. And so, um, that said, so, you know, Facebook, uh, as you know, there's Facebook groups and I was, t- I think I was just talking to a physician, w- a woman physician friend of mine about money. And she's like, Oh, you know, a lot about money. I should add you to this group. And I didn't even know what she was talking about. She, I was like, <laughs> okay. So she added me to this group and it was a group of just women physicians, but it was a group to talk about money. Hmm. Now this group wasn't branded. It was just kind of a community group where. Or- like, I'm not even sure who started to be honest. And it was just a group of women asking questions about money. And it's a private group. Cause I think women physicians, we like to kind of be in our own little groups together. Yeah. So I just started answering people's questions. I started commenting on posts and then, you know, I, it, became apparent to me that I kind of knew more than the average person in the group. Mm -hmm. And I just, to me, it was fun. I was just answering people's questions. I was just, you know, scrolling in between patients. Cause I think also this was a time when my practice was building. So I had a lot of free time, which means I was scrolling on Facebook a lot. (laughs) And so I was just answering questions. And then soon people started tagging me in the posts Hmm. and this was just happening and I was just having fun with it. And then a girlfriend of mine and who like, why don't you start a blog? And I was like, what? (laughs) that literally was my first reaction. I was like, why would I start a blog? And I literally said to her, you know, there is a blog, it's called the white coat investor. And I basically said, he's already written about everything. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's already there. And then she's like, yeah, but you know, you're a woman and I think it'd be cool if you did it. But I, I kind of was like, whatever. Cause like, it's like, who has time for that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not something I was interested in doing, but eventually, I'm not even sure what made me change my mind. But I think it had something to do with, um, you know, the same types of questions tend to come up in these groups. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the way Facebook groups are, they just it's just keeps uh, new posts keep happening all the time because people don't necessarily. It's not a forum where you can kind of search things easily. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, if I wrote a blog post to answer the common questions, I could just link the blog post, so I don't have to keep writing out the same sort of paragraph each time. Yeah. So then I thought, okay, I could do that. And you know, mind you, this was uh, before I had uh, a child, so meaning I had more free time. Yeah. So I so started a blog-
0: from a timeline standpoint. Is this like twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen? Oh gosh,
1: uh, f- twenty sixteen. Okay. I think. I get it mixed up. Jack was born in 2017, so it probably was 2016. So, I started the blog. You know, it takes a few hundred bucks, and I started, and it was like, I wish I had. I'm sure I have a picture somewhere, but it was like pretty awful looking, and I didn't really care. I was just trying to like just get the stuff on there. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, So that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, it was it to me, it was just like a fun little hobby. I wasn't thinking this is going to be a business. You know, I in my mind, I'm a dermatologist. That's what I do for money. And this is just something I do for fun on the side, and it kind of, you know, it was a way to meet people. And I've always been someone who is pretty social, Um right. I was, I, I often was the social planner, uh, whatever that position was in med school, as a social chair in med nice. school, that yeah. sort of
0: stuff. Awesome. And then, uh, so you're starting a blog. Things are starting to get traction. It sounds like, especially with the female physicians, your, your message, your voice, your insights are really starting to resonate in a way that perhaps surprised you a little bit.
1: Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's so funny. Like it's, like I said, I didn't wake up thinking I'd start a business one day, but yeah, it's, with starting the blog, I started meeting other people, other, I guess, like-minded people, other physicians interested in money. And I just saw that there's this huge need. And like that same friend who told me to start the blog, she actually was the same person who said, you should make this a real thing. And I'm like, I, and again, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, because you know, I am a dermatologist and I'm not a specialty that usually is lacking in money. And so in my mind, like I didn't really see the need to have an extra source of income, but this right. is back then. Now I kind of agree that you should have multiple sources of income. Yeah. And so um, it, it took some time to get there though, you know, cause like I said, I really did treat my blog for a hobby only until recently. Did I not when yeah. I say recently only the past year.
0: Yeah. So, talk a little bit about how the the blog um, mapped onto your clinical experience and how that was unfolding for you.
1: Yeah, so you know, a, a bunch of stuff happened, and I, I'm one of those people that really feels like things happen for a reason. When I say a reason, like there's some lesson to learn, or it's like giving you like a push to go in on one direction. And so, you know, we ended up moving. So Matt and I. So you know, I met my Matt, who's my fiance. And we had a son um, in late 2017. And then we moved also that same year to Philadelphia. And that's how you and I met Justin, right? So um, we moved. And so I moved into a prior practice job. He also had a new job, obviously, in Philadelphia. And I kind of was like, this is it. You know, we found these great jobs. I was going to make more in prior practice. He had a job with great benefits and was paying well. And we also moved to a lower cost of living. So in my mind, like I had done it right. You know, like I was following all the advice that I was giving to other women. And now life was going to be, you know, unicorns
0: and rainbows,
1: (laughs) basically. That's what private practice is, right? (laughs) So clearly that didn't happen. So a number of things happened. So, you know, I wasn't making as much as I thought I would. Uh, Matt's job was, um, I don't want to say toxic, but for lack of a better word, just like, you know, he was working many hours. It just wasn't working for us. And it kind of, things came to a head. He lost his job my job like was paying less than what i was making in academics and i kind of was like whoa 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 this is not supposed to be happening this was mm-hmm. supposed to be a great decision and you know i took some time i'm like what what's going on like should i be doing something else and i actually felt really i was actually angry for a period of time about all this angry at like myself that cuz i thought i'd made the wrong decision for the family by moving us all this other stuff and so that's actually where I decided, well, you know, it's up to me, like, you know, I'm responsible for my life. Nobody else is not my employer, not Matt or even his job. And I kind of was at this crossroads. I either had to start my own practice. Basically, I was like, I need to do something. Yeah. So I was either going to start my own practice, a dermatologist, or I was going to start a business. And I chose the business clearly. And, yeah. part, of, and part of the reason was, um, I like the fact that it didn't Have to be tied to a physical location Mm -hmm. because i think um my past is let's just say i've moved a lot (laughs) and so i think i'm alerted to making a commitment to a physical location yeah and so i thought you know starting a practice is probably not a good idea because if i want to move in a year i can't i mean you can but it's like a lot harder when you own a practice right
0: sure yeah so so talk about that transition because i'm sure there's physicians out there who think You know, I did like pre-med undergrad and then I went to med school and then I did a residency and now I'm like a second or third year attending and I'm working so hard. And what Bonnie did sounds really intriguing. Starting a business in air quotes, like whatever that means, I really don't even know the first thing about how I would begin an enterprise on my own. So talk about how did you get to a place where you knew enough and had the self-confidence to sort of spread your wings and jump out of the nest. And what did that idea look like for you?
1: Yeah. So I attended FinCon two years ago and uh yeah it was two years ago and i almost didn't go so i bought a ticket and then i actually sold it and then carrie reynolds who you know a a friend of mine and she has got that great podcast that we gotta go i'm like okay so i bought another ticket and i went but like i literally almost didn't go and when i went to that Um, conference that's when I actually met a lot of the physician finance bloggers in real life like I'd met some of them before at the first white coat investor year but this is the first time where I was with a bunch of them and we kind of all hung out together the whole week Mm -hmm. and one of them was Dr. Peter Kemp who's passive income MD and I remember he told me I was just telling him because I kind of wasn't sure what to do I go big or go home yeah and he said that and I was like I don't know which way to go though and I remember leaving the conference still kind of confused. And around the same time, actually a few months earlier, I, a life slash business coach. And so I think between Peter, Kim, working with my coach, who I still work with, she helped me sort of make that decision. So, you know, my coach doesn't tell me what to do, but she sort of just asked decision on my own. And so I just was like, well, why not? Yeah. You know, why not try this? Like, and if I'm going to try it, let's like go all in. Let's not just do this, like you know, half-baked sort of thing. And so I just, one day, and I haven't uh, looked back, although, you know, when, I don't, when the gong gets tough, believe me, the part of me is like, I could just go back to being a full-time.
0: Yeah, so I have also, and for people who don't know, FinCon, we've talked about that a few times on this podcast. That's the, uh, the, the uh, conference for financial content producers. So it's like a big nerd fest of a bunch of like, You know, YouTube stars and bloggers, and I go there to network with some people like you and other financial planners. And there's some there's a cohort of physician financial uh, experts like yourself that that go there as well. And it's a really cool meeting of the minds, a really unique community. And I uh, I also had the chance to meet uh, Dr. Peter Kim. Shout out to the anesthesiology community uh, who's out there uh, on the West Coast doing great things with real estate. I'm actually hoping to potentially have him on a show here in the future, but I found that that conference and the people there and the energy there similarly has been really inspirational to me as I you know, branch out into the podcast and do other things that are not a natural fit for me. So as you're walking through this journey and it's starting the business, were there any other uh, people that played a key role for you in giving you the, the confidence and the technical insights that you needed to be able to, to launch your business? And then talk a little bit about what is your business exactly?
1: Yeah. So, you know, that was FinCon of that year. That was two years ago. And so just for those who don't know when FinCon is, it's usually September-ish each year so we're talking you know fall that year and so you know the year finished and so we're talking I just decided like you know if I'm going to do this business thing I don't know anything about business and I was not someone who ever thought I'd ever be an entrepreneur in fact I thought that was like for the really smart people and creative people and I'm not I'm just someone who takes orders that's, that's <laughs> kind of how I saw myself growing up like, the doctor really says
0: at- I can't do that it's for the smart people
1: because <laughs> I'm someone who's really good at taking you know uh t- uh let's say Following instructions. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's why I like going to like orange theory or having a personal trainer because I just do whatever they tell me to do and I'll exercise, but left my own devices. I can't do it. So anyway, so I was like, you know, who am I going to learn from? And I don't even know how I found her, but I discovered Amy Porterfield. And for those who are not familiar, she's an online marketer and she teaches entrepreneurs, you know, how to uh, create digital courses and how to build their email list and gets a lot of mindset inspiration as well. So I started learning from her. I bought her courses and I basically, you know, I call 2019 the year of my entrepreneurship residency, so to speak. i nice. kind of dove into all these courses and conferences on how to be an entrepreneur, um, the mindset piece, the and then obviously the strategy as well. That's awesome. what I did this year.
0: Okay. Awesome. And so mindset, mindset is so critical, especially in business. This is something that personally I've been, I've been going down the rabbit hole of like understanding mindset and understanding what it means to like strengthen your own sense of uh, self-confidence by understanding the things that you're really good at and pressing into those things and allowing your strengths to define the activities which you pursue. So talk a little bit about what does it mean for you to pursue, um, maturing your mindset as a physician who's really good at you know clinically but maybe doesn't know anything about business and having to stretch yourself and a lot of that happening up here between your ears
1: yeah so that's another thing we don't learn so honey, and no one teaches us how to manage our mind mm-hmm. and you know one thing i'm learning is you know our brain is our biggest asset and so like i said i did a, a residency in entrepreneurship but i guess the residency also in learning how to really harness my brain because that's really, so basically I invest a lot in myself. So working with my coach, her name is Sunny, that has been crucial to really sort of learning how to manage my mind. And when I I say manage my mind, I mean, just sort of like learning how to be a third party observer of what I'm thinking Mm -hmm. and sort of questioning, you know, questioning the thinking that I've been having. So it's so easy to say, oh, business is hard and you know it's never going to work and it's so easy for me especially as a dermatologist say well why bother like why even do this like don't do this it's just just go back to being a doctor and there's obviously being a doctor is a great profession so nothing you know against that but it was you know i think i also just wanted to push myself and see what i was capable of and you know the more i learn about myself The more i see that this and so going back to sort of what i do is you know i feel like my job besides you know treating patients in terms of skin conditions you know my job is to really teach other women physicians and i focus on women but you know it's applicable to men as well Mm -hmm. teach women physicians how to use money as a tool versus you know money using them so i think a lot of us feel like we don't have a choice around money like you know, if only we had more money, then we could do the things that we want. And so really, um, teaching them that money is a tool that they can actually, um, have under their control versus the other way around. Yeah. And so. I so talk like- a little bit
0: about your business model because, you know, people are listening and saying, okay, she had a blog and now we're talking about a business and apparently she's making money from it. How did, when did that transition happen and how do I, you know, think about potentially either replicating that or doing my own type of thing like that?
1: Yes. So one thing I've learned in is that money comes from value. And so I don't think you and I have ever talked about that, Justin, have we?
0: Um, I don't know, but it sounds like a topic near and dear to my heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. So one thing I learned from, with all this stuff I've been learning, and I can't remember like where, where that phrase came from, but one thing I learned is money comes from value. And so when I think when I think about how my business has evolved, even when I didn't think it was a business, so remember I told you that I was just you know, having fun, you know, answering people's questions. Like I was giving value at that Mm -hmm. time. And so what I learned was um, money comes from value and whether I want to, you know, actually like, you know, harness that or not. And so what I realized was, you know, I feel like my job is to educate. And then in terms of like what actually makes me money, so there's multiple ways that I make money. So one is through sponsors, one is through affiliates. So for those who don't know what that means, that means I partner with certain companies and certain individuals and I promote their stuff. And if someone buys it through me, then I get a a little commission from it. I also have my own products now. So this is the first year I offered my own products. And so that the flagship product is an online course. Um, right now it's called Money for Women Physicians, but I think I'll be changing the name soon. And that's a an online course that's given that's given live. So actual classes are live, it's pre-recorded, but there are live components and the course is only offered a few times a year. So it's not something you can buy now if you wanted to, at least at the time of this recording, you can't buy it now. Um so I created that course this year and then I sold it. And then I'm also getting certified as a life coach because I was so inspired by my personal coach, and I also saw how critical the mindset piece was to everything. And obviously, since I'm a money person, especially with money, so I just thought, you know what, I will become a better, you know, educator. I'll become a better teacher if I learn how to be a coach as well. And so I'm currently getting certified.
0: Awesome. So I really there's a few things I want to unpack here. I think this is really interesting. Um, So you said, you know money for women physicians. I'm curious, how have you approached uh, you know, f- uh, finances for female physicians in a way that you think might be, like somebody might say, how is it different if you're a woman versus if you're a man? What types of things have you found as you've developed this content and had all these conversations where your voice, your approach, your techniques, whatever, has been a little bit different than maybe what we might see on some of those other uh, <laughs> physician finance blogs that are, are yeah. run by men. <laughs>
1: so my material isn't like unique to women physicians um it's unique to i guess higher earning women um who may or may not be in partnerships or have children so you don't have to be you know a mom to take my course i the reason why it's only for women physicians is because like i said my course is sort of given in a live format part of that live thing is a private community and so at this time the private community is only open to women physicians and the reason why i chose that and that might It possibly can change in the future is, um, you know, women physicians feel they're able to be sort of more authentic and vulnerable when they're only around other women physicians. It's, you know, it's not an elitist thing. It's just like a privacy thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, I think physicians also just feel like we get each other. Um, So that's the reason why it's specific to women physicians, but the material itself isn't like super specific. I think I talk about topics that some of the other, you know, bloggers don't address, you know, for example, I, the pre, you know, prenuptial agreements are in the asset protection section, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. for example, and I talk about it um, and I, you know, really, obviously I think it's a requirement for all people to get, but so I talk about topics that maybe some other, you know, bloggers aren't talking about as much.
0: Yeah, totally. So to go back to one of the reasons where that I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you, Bonnie, is physician autonomy is, as I mentioned before, kind of under attack. And I think... In all the different specialties, there's unique flavors of what that looks like. And in anesthesiology, it looks like consolidation and big groups buying out little groups and either big private or like public companies snapping up groups of physicians that have very intentionally created a business and a lifestyle for themselves. And for the hospitals or other sites of service whom they serve, they've cultivated that, they've worked hard at it for a long time. And then when there's a regime change in an acquisition or in a merger or whatever, there there's cultural issues that uh, are manifest, i.e. Um, you, you don't have the kind of power and control in that seat at the table with the hospital whom you're serving. Now you're kind of answering back to corporate and those dynamics can change. And there's this loss of autonomy. Or in the context of you know, pain physicians, some of those similar dynamics exist with consolidation. Uh, if you only work for one practice, you have one income stream, you're sort of beholden to your employer And if your job evolves over time in ways that you don't like, you're going to lose that power of self-determination if you don't have other income streams. If you're financially independent or if you have multiple income streams, then you can say, you know what? I don't want to do this, so take a hike or I'm going to go do my own thing. Uh, So talk a little bit about for you how your expanding into business and expanding into these other ventures of starting a course. And I know we've talked about, you're talking to Dr. Kim, so maybe real estate could be a part of this. Um, How has this changed the way that you see your vocation and how has it changed the way that you think about your life and think about freedom and think about your ability to travel and other things like that?
1: Oh, that's an awesome question. Well, first I will say dermatology is experiencing all those things you mentioned that for anesthesia, for sure. Like we're, you know, lots of practices are being bought up by, for large private equity groups. And so that definitely is, um, I think a problem. Um, and so it's, you know, getting, it's more challenging for the solo, you know, practitioner who wants to sort of hang their shingle and just, you know, they want to do a good job seeing patients. And so that's definitely one of the reasons why I decided to, you know, go towards like starting, you know, this business versus starting a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, just medicine is changing and so many things are not under, you know, my control for sure. Yeah. And I just thought with this business, I would have more control. And that's just kind of how I see, just like you said, like I wanted freedom and there's financial freedom, obviously, which, you know, I'm not traditionally financially independent, you know, by the the current standards. Um, I just wanted autonomy and freedom over my time. And that's really what it came down to. And when you're your own boss, like everything you're it's everything's up to you, which can be good or bad. So for yes. the right person, it's good for the you know, there are people who rather be an employee. And so for that type of person, this wouldn't maybe not be the right move. But to me, I saw it as an opportunity to control my schedule and I'm learning, I'm still learning like how to best do that, so.
0: Yeah, and so I know something that you've talked about that we've talked about together actually is locums. So I think for anesthesiologists in particular, a little bit less so for pain, but anesthesiologists have a great opportunity for locums to travel around to places where anesthesiologists are needed. And by the way, they're desperately needed almost everywhere. And yep. you can take this very specific skill set that you have, which you can earn a lot of money on an hourly basis and go and sort of parachute in somewhere as uh, you know, for like a short or intermediate term engagement and use that to make a lot of money while you're traveling around living somewhere different and just sort of shaking up the mundane rhythms of life. So talk a little bit about how locums has played into your grand plan and how you envision it, uh, maybe playing out into the years to come.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, that those jobs I mentioned to Philadelphia. So when we decided to sort of, you know, pivot, when I say pivot, I mean, we left Philadelphia. Now we live um, just outside of New York city. I wasn't thinking of switching to locums, but you know, it's funny, I, I kind of think about that Morgan Stanley job, it just opportunity just came up. And like I said, I'm someone who feels like when you're, when you're just like open to things, things just appear. Like I firmly mm-hmm. believe that. And I think just, I was just open to something changing. And I don't even know where this came from. It must have been an email. And it's so funny because this is, wasn't that long. ago are six months ago. Some emails came up saying locums in Seattle for the summer. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just looked into it. And then the next thing I knew, I got the job. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we switched to locums, which is a little different for DERB. But, you know, the same premise. You can travel, make some money. Um, I like that they're short-term assignments. And I just, like you said, I just kind of wanted to shake things up and see what else was out there. And this job was also cool. That was two weeks on, two weeks off over a three-month period. Hmm. And the date's like perfectly lined up with still being able to attend FinCon this year, for example. So I almost felt like I was meant to have this job. And so during the two weeks off, that's when I actually worked on and created my course this year. And so I have another locums job lined up, which starts in about a month, the time we're recording this. um, And that's actually in Hawaii. And that also just, I just got an email. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> And it wasn't an email from a recruiter. It was actually an email from a, a, a former co-resident of mine ah. who knew that I had changed to locums.
0: Mm.
1: So, you know, when it's just, so anyway, and this job at this job is at Kaiser in Hawaii. And what's even great about this job is I actually interviewed at Kaiser Hawaii two years prior. So I don't know if you knew that Justin, I didn't. So I actually applied for a job and actually interviewed in Hawaii with Kaiser, but I didn't take the job obviously, right? So, um, but I already met the whole department. So long story short, I think that facilitated me getting this locums position there.
0: Yeah, awesome. So it sounds like when you're willing to be open to these types of opportunities, instead of being uh, stuck in New York City in December or January, you can take some time, go to Hawaii, be working full-time or maybe most of full-time. What's your schedule like in Hawaii?
1: Um, it is full time. So it is Monday through Friday, but because it's over the winter holidays, there's, you know, quite a few days off there.
0: Yeah. And then have the flexibility, all the perks and flexibility that comes with uh, being in a, a beautiful place for a, a really cool time.
1: Yeah. And as you know, locums is great because they they pay for your stay and you yeah. get paid to work. So, yeah. So basically I got paid to live in Seattle during the summer, which is the best time of the year to be there. Yeah. Now I'm getting paid to live in Hawaii during the winter.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> It's not so bad. This is a great commercial for, uh, for locums, actually. So for anybody listening, I want to, I'll just mention this, I'll link to, in the show notes some of the resources we've mentioned. So Amy Porterfield's resources and some of the other, we've talked about locums before uh, and, and some other things that have come up. So anesthesiasuccess.com slash 35 is going to be this episode. And you can find all the show notes, all the things that we're talking about. If you're interested in exploring more what locums might look like for you, definitely want want to check that out um so bonnie really appreciate your time today and i want to sort of wrap things up here as you look back over all the things that you know all the things that have happened for you or that you have gone after do you see are there any developments where you're like that was a catalytic moment for me this was something that when that happened that set me on a new trajectory because it sounds like you're somebody who is always open to new opportunities new even there's an intellectual curiosity that you have that i think in large part, contributes to your willingness to learn new things outside of your primary domain of expertise. So how has that sort of played out? And were there any one or two maybe big moments for you over the over the last handful of years?
1: You know, that's a great question. You know, I've I've tried to remember these big moments, and I don't think it was one moment. I think it was like lots of little moments that sort of like ended up adding up into a big moment. So I think exactly what you said. I, I've always been curious, and I think that's just something, a trait that I've always had. And... I've just sort of um you know been open and you know open to having a coach for example. And so that's something I think you know many people don't even know that that's type of thing even exists being open to that and then at first I wasn't paying for her services but now I do pay her um, and just showing up to my coaching calls now it sounds kind of like stupid mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. I actually you know you know do the work so to speak and yeah. I'm also willing to get uncomfortable. And when I say uncomfortable, I mean, there were definitely days or even periods of weeks where it was really uncomfortable, where it would have been so easy to quit and just go back to um, doing something else that was quote unquote easier. Yeah. And so I think will, you know, the willingness to be uncomfortable, but also sort of knowing that something better is on the other side of that. And so that's what's kept me going.
0: Yeah, awesome. And so if there's somebody listening out there who says, I wanna just have like one or maybe two, to do items, to begin to push in the direction of what Bonnie is building, to be able to have, maybe it's the self-confidence to start getting out of that comfort zone, to start pushing in a new direction, to start building autonomy, building multiple income streams, building some flexibility into life. What might you recommend as far as first steps?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was actually to listen to the life coach school podcast. So it's called the life coach school podcast. Um, but start from episode number one, there's like over 200, not saying you gotta listen to all of them, but just start with number one, listen to the first two, and then you can kind of skip around. That's the podcast by Brooke Castillo. And that's the life coach school that I'm training with. Um, and so you'll learn how to manage your mind a little bit. And I think it starts with that.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll wrap it up with that. Dr. Bonnie Koo. thank you very much for joining us on the Anesthesia Success Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to anesthesiasuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesiology and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I would also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on the Anesthesia Success Podcast.